Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another episode of Observations. Thank you for joining me as always as we continue to uh, to, to travel the, the vast, vast landscape of comic books and pop culture. And today we have a doozy. When, when I tell you that this has been boiling up inside of me since I was a wee lad, since I was a young, 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 young man, uh, uh, I, I, I mean, believe it. Believe me when I tell you that this has been boiling. It has been something I have wanted to share, and uh, we are just gonna have the best time today. If you like apocalyptic Armageddon scenarios, comic books, then then we are in the same treehouse. Because uh, I, I and, and to be honest, I, I I think pretty much the world likes apocalyptic Armageddon scenarios. I, I think we're all kind of joined as one. Hands across America, or if it's the Armageddon, hands across broken America, hands across broken world, hands across a broken globe, because we love this stuff. We can't get enough of it. We love when the world around us is seared and destroyed and burned to the ground, and we have to restart it, repopulate it, navigate whatever went wrong, and uh, just kind of reset the world. And this... Really, this episode, shout out to John Krasinski, who, um, who's A Quiet Place number two, part two, which I saw this last weekend and loved, and we'll get into that in a second, because that really set the table for all this, is I'm watching John Krasinski, who, I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest, guys, this guy's a, a hell of a director. I mean, he has been paying attention, uh, obviously, his whole life, he wanted to be an actor, but... He has paid attention to some of the great direction he's received as well as, you know, uh, studied the greats. I see Hitchcock. I see Spielberg. I see Cameron. I see Ridley Scott. Um, he's just a fantastic director. And A Quiet Place, the world of A Quiet Place, as you guys know, is a post-apocalyptic landscape as a result of an alien invasion by a very specific and unique breed of aliens who can only hear us. They can't see us. They are drawn by sound, and you know, having rewatched the first film the other night with my kids, because after um, my wife and I went and saw A Quiet Place Two, we were, we were home, we were raving about it to our kids. The theater experience, we you know, returning to a big theater uh, right here in my hometown. We had just opened for the first time. My hometown got a movie theater. Uh, there there are movie theaters in surrounding areas, but this my city did not have. A dedicated movie theater and six no four months before the pandemic they regal opened an imax with uh 11 theaters including the 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 imax the two imax theaters and uh and we it, it it's unbelievable again to have a theater that you could walk to i can conceivably walk from my house there within 20 minutes Obviously, the drive is four minutes, and we, we just love going there. It was like, oh my gosh, we have our own, you know, theater. We saw, you know, stuff like Rise of Skywalker. We saw the Zombieland 2. I think that was like the opening weekend. Uh, you know, I, I saw um, Ford versus Ferrari there. And then again, February, early March of 2020, the great pandemic hit. And this bright, shiny, new Regal IMAX in this entire new kind of town square that had been erected in our um, town 
uh, and our, our town had always been regulated by some very protective, older, elderly city council people who wanted our area to be sleepy, lots of horse trails, not a lot of commerce. They finally kind of the new kind of met with the old and a truce was made and this town center was part of it and this theater was part of it. So this returning to that theater after it had closed for so long was so amazing and it was uh, great. Um, obviously right now as things are reopening as we speak it, uh, across the world, uh, there is still a, a, a fair amount of social distancing, but those recliner seats, it, it's actually, it's hard, it's going to be hard to go back to going, hey, why are you sitting next to me? Wait, I like having a seat in between us for every, you know, um, if, if you had a party of three, then there was a, you know, seat on each side of you, four, then there was a seat, seat on each side of you, you know, so we had, um, my wife and I were in a, uh, uh, there were six of us, bottom line, in a, in a row that, that would normally seat 10 people. And the lights went down and the trailer started and then we got into a quiet place too. And we just loved it. And we came home, we raved about it. My oldest son was seeing it on the uh, following couple days. He had never seen the original quiet place. We saw it with him. I, I was like, look, you're going to love this. It's 90 minutes. It's very quick. It's very satisfying. But seeing it at home for the first time in two years reminded me of uh, how, what literally a silent film that Krasinski made. I mean, that is the, the 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 unique aspect of that world of this apocalyptic world is the minimum, you know, speaking that goes on. I love the scene when Krasinski. Here's a here's a great thing about a quiet place too. Can you tell me any of their names like by memory? I know them as John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, um, whiny son, the uh, deaf daughter. I don't know their names. I don't know anyone's names. I know that Killian Murphy is. I love him. In, in the sequel, but it's like, it's funny because no one's talking. So no one's like bursting out names. I mean, that's how you learn. Look, that's how you learn like Han, Luke, Leah, Ben. Okay. So I, I like to shout out names. So it's just funny. So when Krasinski takes the whiny son under the waterfall and they speak in the first movie and he shows that he can talk because the greater loudness conceals their volume. It's just, it's so brilliant. It's so well conceived. The world is very unique, very different, but it is apocalyptic nonetheless. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe that John Krasinski has created for himself this amazing new franchise. It is firmly, firmly, uh, you know, cemented as a franchise now based on that huge opening weekend. And you guys, the $60 million that it made in the States on opening weekend, you have to release, Realize I was doing it at 35% capacity. I got to admit, I was un, I was completely wrong. I was um, I, I did not anticipate the fever for people getting back into the movies the way they are. And once I did it with my wife, we were like, wow, we could do this again real soon. And uh, it was just obviously the, the, these theaters, especially everywhere in the county that I live, Orange County, is, is practicing the limited capacity. Nothing is, is at a hundred percent. Nothing around here is still, is at 50%. So, so much of what was achieved is, was at 35% earnings surpassing the projections for quiet place Two pre pandemic. When it, it, remember it was coming out the week before everything got shut down. That was the movie. There was a premiere Krasinski, Emily Blunt, everybody went to the premiere. They were, they were about to roll this out and then it got, you know, um, stalled out. Uh, it plug pulled, you know, delayed. And, and, and here it is making all of this scratch given that, uh, it's, 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 it's a 35, you know, capacity burn rate. And so I think it's fairly safe 
to assume this is a giant franchise. And John Krasinski has built himself an incredible world that I think we are going to revisit many, many times and maybe see through multiple different lenses, different families. But this got me thinking about apocalypse, Armageddon scenarios that I have enjoyed my entire life. We're never at a shortage for them. Never at a shortage for them. Obviously, the biggest of the last 15 years is Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. He took this zombie apocalypse and turned it into this uh, giant, uh, giant scale, much bigger than any of the zombie films that had come prior. This made it like a Western, made it, you know, these, these, these cowboys. I mean, Rick was, I mean, come on, a, a sheriff with a gun, a holster, a rifle. I mean, riding horseback, uh, uh, all the imagery and the, I, I, you know, the iconic, uh, uh, visuals of the comic book then brought to life on, on screen, literally fed people in a way that people didn't know they wanted to be fed because come on guys, we are looking at, what is it? 10, 11 seasons of The Walking Dead, six, seven of Fear. Then there were those those two seasons spinoffs with the kids, like Explore The Walking Dead or whatever, Beyond The Walking Dead. Bottom line, we're at, we're at 200 episodes, you know, and counting and climbing with no end in sight. And because this world, this apocalyptic world that Robert envisioned and brought to life has, uh, has really caught on with people in, in, in a live action capacity. And then he boldly just ended the story several years ago, shocked everybody, put out the last issue of Walking Dead without telling anybody it was the last issue. But hundreds of issues of the comic, or 100 plus issues of the comic, and then now 200 episodes and AMC's highest rated series ever. You know, before Walking Dead came on, it was it was Mad Men. I, it was it was they were winning award after award after award. John Hamm, you know, Mad Men was the ticket, and now, uh, you know, Walking Dead took over the landscape for them and just and just took off. But uh, you know, whether it is uh, Commandy that Jack Kirby did, which was his longest running title that he launched, that he wrote and drew himself at DC Comics, even after all of his. Fourth World, New Gods, Forever People, Mr. Miracle, you know, the threat of Dark Side, all of that had um had 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 been, you know, dialed down, had been canceled, had been removed. Uh Commandy kept going strong, kept going strong into the mid-70s. I mean, I am buying I was buying Commandy issues in 1978. Jack had established a an expanded version of what they touched on with Planet of the Apes. And and I know that there are a lot of apocalyptic and Armageddon um movies and franchises and I'm not going to get to all of them today. I I am about to unveil the the secret of my like like my secret stash. Everybody has a secret stash, right? And I'm not talking about your drugs. I'm not talking about your cocaine, your Molly, um your 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 LSD. I'm not talking about, you know, all of the um drugs that Jim Valentino told me that he did in the 70s and he has got the best drug stores. And let's let's be honest. All of my peers in the 70s uh, Jeff Jones, Bernie Wrightson, uh, Barry Windsor Smith, these guys dropped acid like I eat, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups. And to answer that, I have several Reese's peanut butter cups a day. If you've seen me and it's five o'clock, I've had two, I've had three peanut butter cups. Okay. It's, uh, you know, that, that, <laughs> that, that is my, um, that is my, uh, uh my, those are my drugs is candy. So, uh, but, but, uh, I'm not talking about when I say secret stash. Okay. I am. Not talking about your ganja weed. I am talking about my 
I think I could actually smoke some of this stuff. The, the, uh, as I look at this stack next to me on my table, the, these pages are yellowed. Some are like green. This newsprint is charred and old, and it is uh, it is damaged. It, there's no there's no nine eights in here, man. Uh, in terms of CGC, uh, maybe these are fives, maybe these are sixes, but they have lived alongside me. They have been my secret stash. They have been the comics I never speak of because I figure everyone's eyes are going to roll into the back of their head. But a quiet place made me realize we love end of the world scenarios. And nobody, but nobody, with apologies to Robert Kirkman, with apologies to John Krasinski, nobody did it better, okay, than Pierre Boulle and Planet of the Apes. Ape shall not kill ape. Oh my gosh. The greatest franchise of my youth and still there's so much to be squeezed out of this franchise. And uh, and you're going to hear about all the comic books that did it. And, 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 and if I told you that there are apes in suits of armor a la King Arthur and the Round Table with lances and maces and shields and apes battling dragons you're gonna be like life what what is that where is that where do i find that marvel freaking comics produced the finest series of planet of the apes comics ever published get out of here if you want to bring me that malibu stuff i'm not having it at the end of the day besides maybe one great dale keown cover um this stuff is primo a plus a list this is the age of the Marvel magazine. This thing went uh, 30 issues. Um, it is it is a, uh, a a celebrated magazine in the age where Marvel was ruling the newsstands. I miss it. I miss this size, this age. These are generally 54, 56 page magazines. You always got two stories and it expanded the mythology, the mythology, Vin Diesel's here, it expanded the mythology, Riddick and the mythology, um, we're family, uh, this, this expanded the mythology that was set forth in the original films, and these Planet of the Apes magazines, uh, what if I told you that you're going, I have been waiting my whole life to say this, I, I, there, again, man, not only do we need REM singing It's the End of the World as we know it right now, you know, I feel fine. Oh man, we need REM. We need we need end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine blasting right now. Listen, listen. <laughs> that the 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 Armageddon. We love this stuff, especially when the apes are dominating us. Okay. Um. The, the, if I told you, I cannot believe I am going to speak of this out loud. I cannot believe I'm going to form these words and share them with you. But there are apes in coonskin caps. There are apes that look like Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and they are on they are on rafts and canoes in these stories and the art is exceptional it is fantastic now you, you could probably get these for pretty cheap i don't think there's a high demand for them and as as you guys know you know demand drives supply and 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 i think if you want to grab these i don't know if they've been collected i'm not aware of a collected edition of these i prefer my magazine size Black and white. There are black and white magazines. I should I should add that they launched and uh, and 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 adapted each of the films that came out in the '60s and the early '70s. But by the time uh, these these arrive, so the first issues of these arrive in '74, 
and um, I have the 29th issue right here with me. You're gonna hear um, some some you know paper products. That's always the stuff that I've got on the on the on the desk here. Let me see. When is the uh, this issue put out? So this this is still coming out in uh, 1977. I mean, they are still making Planet of the Apes magazines. Okay, this thing had a nice long run. The, these these magazines, and, and it's funny because I'm. In, in several of them, I, I earmarked where there are these um, full-page ads um, touting uh, the age of the Marvel magazine. And 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 again, I've, I've told you, Conan, Savage Sword of Conan as a magazine, went on to become more successful than the Conan comic that Marvel was publishing. They had this window in time that 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 the newsstand again when you, in in. During my youth, and I know here it comes again. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Get ready. The 70s, the 70s, and it stretched throughout the 80s. You had the newsstands, and in every um, grocery store. And again, do we love our grocery stores? We, we do. Um, uh, here and abroad. When I was in London, I could not believe how many grocery stores and grocery marts there are. Um, when I was in London in, in, in the summer of 2019, and. Uh, just unbelievable the amount of, of of grocery stores, but there's always a newsstand, a magazine rack where you can grab, you know, the latest and greatest issue of whatever tabloid. You know, uh, over there it's whatever tabloid is telling you about, you know, Harry and Meghan and what's going on with the royal family. But back in the day, we had um, Sports Illustrated, Life Magazine, People Magazine, Time, Newsweek. You had Good Housekeeping. So it was the age of magazines, and and, and you guys sometimes there was eight different rows. On two different, you know, um, ascending shelves of, of of magazines, and there was always the sci-fi genre, you know, uh, area of the magazines. And so Marvel Comics is putting out the Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, cashing in on the martial arts craze that was started by. And, and these issues would feature interviews with Bruce Lee. Okay, you'd have Shang Chi and Iron Fist, you know, and and Sons of the uh, Sons of the Tiger, but you'd also have. An interview with with Bruce Lee and 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 how to do Bruce Lee's Bruce Lee's you know karate moves. So so they're they're getting this magazine size messaging out to you. At the same time, you had uh, you had so you had Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. They had a monster magazine uh, with with uh, with with some of the Marvel monsters in it. It was th this one right here, Nightmare Legends of the Living Dead Vampire Tales. Marvel, you know, oh my gosh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And and then they had uh, Doc Savage, who was a pulp character, getting his own movie at the time. And then they had Planet of the Apes, and this was by far the most. This this, along with Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, ran the longest and was arguably the most successful of the bunch. And uh, you guys, I am. Uh, there's a cover here, okay? Planet of the Apes number twenty six. We're gonna dive into this. Two these these paintings are glorious. Every single painted cover and these all had some of the best fantasy guys around were giving Marvel these brilliant painted covers for Planet of the Apes. Imagine 29 30 issues and and again as I'm as I'm telling you these are these are 48 52 page magazines two complete 20 page plus stories an issue generally in the back um that's it Legion of Monsters Marvel preview here I'm looking at these great Marvel the Marvel magazine line is on the move. That's a full page ad here. The Marvel Magazine line is on the move. So Conan, Planet of the Apes, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, Doc Savage, you know, uh, the monster um, magazines. 
you got a lot of a lot of content here and some great 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 artists and you got some dedicated brand new characters but on the cover this this one fantasy painted cover before i forget is viking apes apes with viking helmets viking axes arriving on a vike at the at the at the mast of a viking ship and it says jason and alexander return okay and and i love this masthead above planet of the apes where once man where where man once stood supreme now rule the apes they took the original five films and they ran with it in a way that the films have never run with it. And the TV show and the cartoon, we're going to get into the cartoon a little because the cartoon, like the comics, again, what have we talked about? What is Jack Kirby famously saying at the panel with me? Well, you know, the, the, the thing about comics is we have unlimited budgets. Anything I see in my head, I can put on this paper with this lead pencil and this eraser. And, and it costs me this pencil and this lead eraser. We have unlimited budgets, is what Jack Kirby said on a panel that I was at with Mike Mignola in LA Comic Con. And that has resonated with me forever. Unlimited budgets. Our paper, our pencils, our erasers, our, our Cintiqs, whatever we're doing it on now. Unlimited budgets. And, uh, and I am telling you guys, these comic books and, uh, and, 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 and these magazines and the cartoon expanded Planet of the Apes in a way that even the last current batch of films um, uh, uh, did, did not completely, were not able to envision unlimited budgets. And you're going to see it here because like I've said, we've got Knights of the Realm. We have we have Viking apes. We have uh, prairie apes, uh, 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 pioneer apes. All of the worlds are, 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 are um, discussed and, and explored and the artwork is fantastic. The stories are grade A. You're going to hear a lot about an artist named Mike Plug today. P-L-O-O-G. Mike has been very active in social media, getting back out there, showing his art. Mike was a um, a dynamo for Marvel Comics and he in, in the late 70s. That's when he did the majority of his work. It was mostly either horror comics based or it was fantasy based. When he left comics, he went to work for Ralph Bakshi and uh, work under his animation banner, and he he we lost him to the world of animation, as we did so many of the great comic book illustrators, because they were able to take more time, um, refine their work, maybe do just a, a few really refined pieces of art per month in terms of like the stuff that Mike Plug did was he would be the guy who would imagine and do uh, do representative pieces for like Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. There's a giant one sheet where he did all the character models of everybody who appeared in Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings. Prior to him going on and doing Lord of the Rings, Mike Plug did an extended run of Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night was a giant hit for Marvel Comics. They ha It has an omnibus. Again, it, it is collected in a really br brilliant, beautiful, expanded omnibus that Marvel Comics put out. And he was the dedicated artist on Werewolf by Night. Uh, and, and did a, 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 the lion's share of that entire series. And Werewolf by Night, again, what was going on, it, not only was Kung Fu and martial arts big and karate, um, monsters were huge in the 70s. They were having a giant resurgence. Vampires, werewolves, um, mummies. Again, this whole in search of Bigfoot, Yeti, um, aliens, as, as the, the latter half of the 70s is so sci-fi wired. I mean, it is so wired. It is not an accident that Steven Spielberg pivoted out of his horror film, Jaws, because that's what it is, a horror film with a shark 
into two sci-fi classics, Close Encounters, and then begins the 80s with E.T., Okay, I mean, he he's never really left that behind. That Close Encounters was such an embodiment of everything that the country was going through, the world was going through, in its obsession with alien life forms. Ditto, same for monsters, alien civilizations, all of it. And so Mike Plug also did the Frankenstein monster comic book, especially the first few issues. Marvel's got a trade that they released a few years back of that. Um, I think I'm not, maybe not an epic collection that that they do, but it, it's got the entire run. And Mike Plug was, uh, I, I can't even describe his style. He's just a, it's just a cool um, style. Maybe cut slightly from a cloth that would be connected to Bernie Wrightson, but maybe even less illustrative and more, um, more accessible, uh, more movement. Uh, great storyteller, great gestures, great action, great movement. Where Barry would just... Bernie Wrightson, Bernie Wrightson would sit down and just give you this beautifully lush rendered lines. Mike could do that, but he chose to, I think, move a little quicker, which is why I think he produced a little more work during this window of time. The uh, the next thing that I would see Mike on was a one-shot that Marvel did in Marvel premiere called Weird World. And Weird World was literally kind of Marvel starting to scratch that uh, Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, uh, realm Lord of the Rings was was really heating up with a number of different animated films. Um, Bashki had Lord of the Rings and and kind of the Two Towers, and then uh, Rankin Bass did The Hobbit and Return of the King. It was really weird that the rights got split up between two different competing uh, animation companies that that gave you two. So 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 Rankin Bass had The Hobbit and Return of the King, the, the bookends of the saga, and then Lord, the Lord of the Rings movie had had The Fellowship and Two Towers. So you got you got the bookends by Rankin Bass with their very distinct style, which looked nothing like the Baskey stuff. It's fantastic, fascinating. I've, I've rewatched all of them recently. When we get back to fantasy comics and Sword and Sorcery Part Two, we'll get more of that. But Mike Plug kind of exited the stage as he was doing some some uh, fantasy stuff in the late seventies, doing this world weird world comic. Needless to say, about everything that Mike Plug did, he really did not, uh, to my knowledge, do superheroes. Uh, it may be a blind spot. But my concentrated interaction with him was on Werewolf by Night, Frankenstein's Monster, uh, the Weird World special, and then all of these Planet of the Apes. And when I'm talking about Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, Prairie Apes, I'm talking about these Mike Plug adventures. So, you know, in the sequel to Planet of the Apes, we are introduced to Brent, okay? Brent's character, obviously, because then the sequel to Planet of the Apes, they, they blow the entire planet up. I, I, if you haven't seen it, I, I apologize in advance for, for spoiling it for you, but but they blow the entire planet up and Brent is gone. But in the cartoon that came on on NBC in 1975 to 1976, Brent is revealed to have lived and is with Nova and there, it's like a separate timeline and we're going to deal with a lot of different separate divergent timelines. But again, this is the most... Um, of that era, outside of Commandy, the most apocalyptic landscape. Killraven was a huge, was an offshoot of War of the World, where the Martians conquered us, and they got Killraven, and oh, I did an unpublished six, five-issue Killraven miniseries that Robert Kirkman wrote, and it is buried in some drawer in Marvel Comics. Maybe someday we will negotiate its release. 
But again, I have done apocalyptic Armageddon landscapes. Kill Raven is another really popular one. But again, I have got to share these Clan of the Apes magazines with you, not only due to the, the fantastic art, but the incredible stories. You don't understand. So I'm gonna, so so follow Robbie Liefeld on a routine Sunday evening as he's going with his mom to the grocery store. Because I've told you, if I go with my mom to the grocery store, I'm going to get a pack of cards. I'm going to get some candy. Some of it's going to be with my allowance. Some of it's going to be with sad eyes. Sad eyes, you know, to mom to get me that extra bag of chips or Twinkies or donuts or whatever, man. I, I like my sugar. I was... I was quite rotund as as a youngster, and uh, and and I, I fed that machine with some of the finest sugars, processed sugars, uh, and 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 sweets that you could possibly imagine. And and boy, oh boy, I think that's the age they discovered. Like, wow, people will buy these in like droves and boxes and cases. But I would always wander to this giant newsstand aisle, no matter what market, and I would grab the first time I saw a Planet of the Apes magazine, a Planet of the Apes magazine. Oh my gosh, I was freaking out. And I grabbed it. It was one of the early issues. And it featured these. It's it's got an add-up. So 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 the the brilliant and and accomplished Alfredo Alcala, one of the finest Filipino illustrators, inked a ton of John Buscema, but was one hell of a a beautiful illustrator himself. He would do ink, pen and ink, and then this beautiful gray wash with different um evaluations of, of, of gray tones, you, you dilute the ink in, in the tray and oh, it, it's basically painting it in black and white. He would, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, you can hear these pages turning, was adapted in the front of this book. But then we go to the back and and uh, it's, it's this brand new like story that, that expands the, uh, that expands the saga with this guy named Richard Zane, Richard Zane. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not familiar with who Richard Zane is, so so I haven't heard of him. And uh, and Richard Zane is featured in a two-part story, upon which Doug Mensch brilliantly, M O E N C H. He did an extended run on Master of Kung Fu. He did an extended run on Moon Knight. Doug Mensch is the real deal, one of the finest writers of an age. In this story called Kingdom of an Island of the Apes. And um, this this is where I talk about knights in armor and knights battling dragons. I'm, I'm sorry, apes in knight armor and apes battling dragons. And this stuff blew my mind. And, and, and the clever thing that Doug Mensch did here is he took a Connecticut... Uh, Yankee in King Arthur's Court, borrowed from that famous kind of time travel. It's a classic. It's it's a, the guy you know gets hit on the head, wakes up. He's in King Arthur's Court, has adventures as a knight, and you know it's all part of his imagination at the end. But uh, he he also borrows from the classic um, uh, time machine uh, novel, and and in that this guy, our our um, protagonist uh, here is is uh and they're expanding on the word of the world of pierre bull's um you know planet of the apes the establishing his novel before it was adapted to the movies they are um they are expanding and, and taking different entry points into the saga different divergent timelines as well um so the, the, he really is influenced by hg wills the time machine in this, in this kingdom of an island of the apes, in that our main character is uh, 
is 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 a guy, a scientist, building a time machine. Now, at the end of the story, he is able to complete the time machine. He goes through the time machine and lands. Uh, sorry, I, Derek Zane got the Zane right. Derek Zane is has has gone through a time machine, which has brought him to a period in the Apes timeline that we have not encountered in the films or the cartoons, and. Uh, and and you really they build up his character, his frustrations. Um, he's trying to sell other people on backing him and giving him financing to make this time machine. Um, he's this you know helpless romantic, and uh, and then upon we, we we see that in his basement he has built this time machine. When he gets in it and he crash lands, he emerges in this other world. So instead of the astronauts coming out of orbit and crashing into a world upon which everyone is you know the world is dominated by apes in this case are time traveler so it's they just do it more directly again very hg wells the time machine and he encounters these apes he encounters ape city and Derek zane is immediately on the run in the same way that taylor and brent was on the run but where things go freaking weird is in his travels and when he escapes and it's brutal the fisticuffs the blood the action in these stories is way better than the fisticuffs, the blood, the action in the films. That because again, the budget is unlimited here. You can have like like 70 guys on horseback running after a single, you know, human into in, in, into the forest. Um, and, and then get in the, and then from there have him dive into a river, build a raft, go over a waterfall, and then wait, he emerges, you know, on a different piece of land. He arrives at a different a distant island and he is greeted by an ape in knight's armor and he says and the the knight takes his helmet off he's on horseback he his horse is decorated in a way that a a knight a knight's horse would be decorated um and 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 the armaments and he is in his shining armor with his lance and he is pointing it at Derek Zane and he says for what purpose dost thou breach the shores of fair abaddon this is an ape this is an ape and he says, get thee into yon forest, knave. Tis my honor-bound duty to conduct thee to my liege. Okay? So he then goes to meet this um, this majesty, the royal majesty that of Avedon, who is like a king, a King Arthur, like a, a, a king, a biblical king. And they are just amazed that, again, like Taylor before him, that this Derek Zane can speak. But they seek immediately a purpose for him and recruit him to battle the giant dragon. And these apes are not utilizing guns. They are utilizing just the most medieval weaponry. And uh, they dub him Sir Eric. And because Eric has a rifle with bullets, he is able to kill the dragon. So again, in the time that he traveled, the apes have not gotten to guns and gunpowder. Not the village that he escaped from and not... Uh, not this settlement, these knights. So he is able to use his guns and, and and improve his standing within this court. And of course, then an ape challenges him and they have a jousting match. And it is ridiculously nuts. And then, then another group of apes who has guns from a different settlement storm the beach, attack the castle. Yes, there is a castle in this ape world. There is a cap, a castle... And Derek Zane leads his knight, this, this settlement of medieval apes against these more advanced apes. And that was a two-part story called Island 
Kingdom of the Island of Apes. And you guys, it flipped me out. But I'm telling you, in the late 70s, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, those were big deals. Coonskin caps were, you know, every point of purchase that you could find if you wandered into Disneyland. And uh, and and so a new uh, story starring another human named Jace who arrives on the shores. He is picked up by a guy named Lightfoot who is like a, a, an old pioneer human who goes up and down the rivers of this particular settlement and... And that's where you get your coonskin, your coonskin cap apes and your apes in canoes. And and as a kid, I'm like, apes in canoes? Coonskin cap? Ape? Like, I'm flipping out on this stuff. Like, this, again, I love when genres are mashed up and they were being mashed up in the most righteous fashion in the pages of these magazines. And again, Mike Plug is drawing these. Alfredo Alcala is drawing these. Rico Rival, who is another fantastic Filipino artist, is drawing these. And again, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Planet of the Apes, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, and Battle of the Apes are all adapted within these pages too in separate chapters. But the excitement of seeing these um, the, the story with Jace and Lightfoot and then these um, these apes in it with their with their Davy Crockett um, their Davy Crockett coonskin caps and their oh did I mention muskets they had muskets okay and they're trying to um, you know pioneer and escape their way from the oppressive apes that 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 have better armaments as well so Jace and Lightfoot and uh, and 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 the the uh, the uh, coonskin cap wearing. Uh, Wherein uh, what, what, Abe, his name is Gibbon, uh, they travel to South Dakota, and in South Dakota they give you another giant, iconic uh, element like the Statue of Liberty that was so whoa, you know, dry, you know, you couldn't even believe it. It it, it your mouth was was uh, you know just wide open when you saw it at the end of the Charlton Heston. They have <laughs> the Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, okay? So we see the apes version of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. And again, this looks like the world of last of the Mohicans. You can have uh, D- Daniel Day-Lewis's Day Hawkeye could be r- walk, running through here, you know, chased by Magua. That's how it is drawn. That's what these prairie settlements look like. But they are looking up at this giant Mount Rushmore and all of the noses have been chiseled off of the presidents so that they look like apes they look like primates with these noses and so they are uh they are uh, you know um um looking this over and wondering what the legend of who put these you know um who, who who put these uh heads up there now in each of the the, the planet of the apes in the cartoon and the movies there is always the general in it, it's either general urco general ursus and for the comic books they have general brutus and general brutus is the one hunting our apes and uh, our Lightfoot and the and the and the Davy Crockett coonskin cap wearing apes. I, you guys, I, my entire life, I did not think I would tell anybody about these comics. They're brilliant. They're hardcore sci-fi fantasy epic. If you love the world of the Planet of the Apes, this stuff flexes in a way that you could not even possibly imagine. I thought the I, I thought the Mount Rushmore with the noses chiseled off was inspired. Imagine seeing that on film. Imagine that is just riveting it looks great it's a splash page here but again from the the island of the apes with knights and dragons 
to the really beautiful dedication uh, the adaptations of, of the films. These magazines are worth all of it. And imagine you are nine and you are 10 years old and you are you are obsessed with Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes had a huge merchandising. Um, again, if you know the history, each of the movies did very well, but but once they were all completed, movie houses around the country, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, they did these things called Go Ape Weekends and they'd have these advertisements where the ape is pointing right at you, Go Ape! And Go Ape meant you bought a ticket Saturday morning and you sat until Saturday evening and you watched whatever that is, two, four, six, ten, ten and a half hours of ape movies. Go ape, go ape. It really caught on, this repackaging of the apes. I've talked to other guys my age from other, um, you know, in, in parts of Chicago and in, and in New York City who were like, yeah, we went to go ape. We went to go ape in our city, in our town, and we sat there and watched them all back to back to back to back to back. The same stuff they're doing with the Marvel movies and they're doing with the Star Wars movies now. It started this packaging with the ape franchise. So this happens after all the movies have ended their theatrical release, and I think the last one is 1972 with Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Then, as I've told you several times, in the afternoon on the film strips on ABC Network, and I've talked about this, given Facebook, we're able to like connect, and the guy in, in Atlanta was watching the same thing that I was on his Channel 7 in the afternoon, and they stripped them in terms of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you got Planet, Beneath, Escape, Conquest, Battle, Okay. So in the mid-70s, 75 on, a few years after the last theatrical, The Apes takes hold and it is merchandise everywhere. In, in these magazines, you see Mego, the, the, the giant action figure maker, had an entire line of six, seven Planet of the Apes uh, dolls, the posters, lunch pails, um, every possible aspect of licensing, these apes were on it. They were Star Wars before Star Wars. George Lucas has absolutely attributed the fact that they didn't know what they had when they were doing Planet of the Apes that, that years after the end of the, the theatrical run that this amount of toys and merchandise would come. There was nothing... The, the, the Planet of the Apes is seen as the precursor to what George uncorked with his Star Wars licensing, you know, binge. But, so again, we are getting these incredible adventures. And, and again, I told you about this cover, Planet of the Apes number 26 magazine. You know, Jason and Alexander return. This is by Herb Trimpey, no less. Herb Trimpey. And uh, again, we have Lightfoot and we have Jace, and, and these are our explorer, human explorers that look like they're Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, and they're in uh, in the snow, and, and up up on the shore comes Jason, and Alexander, um, the, 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 these Viking apes with swords, with swords and shields, okay? And, and this one ace, ape, ape says, Lightsmith. That word is like ice dashed by hot mead. It melts and becomes nothing in my ear. Now answer my challenge. And uh, and so Jace has to uh, has to um, uh, uh, face off against this ape named Jardo. Jardo. These Viking apes with with they, they literally have chainmail. You guys, this is wild. Nothing like this. I've seen nothing like this before or later. And in fact, they encounter. A Yeti. A Yeti is in a cave in the Planet of the Apes timeline here in these mighty Marvel comic magazines. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to wrap this mighty Marvel magazine era of apocalyptic apes up with the one ad that I love the most. And, and, I, and I possibly love it the most because it's got a picture of Stan Lee across from it, you know, pointing to you to tell you to read more Marvel comics. But here in uh, <laughs> here in Planet, in, in, in the Planet of the Apes magazine... There is an ad with General Ursus on his horse. And it's fairly against white space. 
It's just him isolated on his horse. It's a still from the show or from the movies. And it says, come to where the quality is. Come to Marvel country. Out there in the wilderness, the air is always fresh and clean. The work is always rugged and demanding. And it's really kind of difficult to find a newsstand that sells Planet of the Apes. Or, for that matter, to find a newsstand. Not in Orange County, buddy. We offer subscriptions to Planet of the Apes. For the kind of ape who really belongs in this kind of country. For the kind of ape who doesn't have any time to fool around with a magazine that isn't well-drawn, well-drawn, and expertly produced. For the ape who's got 13 little green darlings that he might as well send us before the IRS gets to you in April. Come to where the quality is. Subscribe to this Marvel magazine of your choice today. I mean, this is hilarious. And down here it says, Warning, the publisher general has determined that magazine smoking is dangerous to your health. Across from this, Stan Lee in a bicentennial, because this is 1976, he's in his bicentennial, 4th of July, top hat, stars, stripes, a stars and stripes jacket. He looks exactly like he's wearing what? Um, what, uh, 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 crap, uh, in, in, in Rocky, in Rocky four, uh, the, the, what Rocky wears, the stars and stripes, um, uh, uh, cape and the stars and stripes shorts and Stanley has the hat on. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. It says uncle Stan wants you to buy crazy magazine. And then of course there's a giant, the rest of it, the full page ad is the subscription to the apes across there. It's split up and three quarters of the ad is Bruce Lee. Farewell to the Dragon, the Bruce Lee Memorial Book, and then Uncle Stan wants you to buy Crazy Magazine. So these old magazines are just a hoot. The ads are, are great. The articles are great. But here's the deal. At this same time, in 1975, they launch a live action. Again, Ape Mania taking over. They do a live action TV show on CBS. And the, t the TV show uh, called Planet of the Apes uh, it, it introduces us to two more astronauts who are on the tail of you know, Charlton Heston and his group. And they're Burke and Verdon, played by Verdon is Ron Harper. Burke is Jim Naughton. And this only lasted one season. This was on Friday nights. As I, as a kid, I never, ever missed it. I thought it was really well done. They they took all of the makeup applications, costumes um, from, uh, from, from the movies that were still in storage and circulation and immediately applied them to a live action series upon which they would go from town to town, settlement to settlement, meet new dangers. And of course, they were always being hunted by General Urko, who was trying to catch them. And, uh, and, and, and so you got your, your dose, um, you know, of, of apes every week, every Friday night during 1975. But in 1975, simultaneous to this, NBC, no less, gives you the Planet of the Apes cartoon. And the Planet of the Apes cartoon, and this is what I'm talking about when I am talking about the giant budgeting. So, so we've talked about in these comic books, uh, Prairie Pioneer Apes, Viking Apes, uh, Knights of the Realm Apes, Dragons. Does this sound like stuff they could pull off in 1975 with any sort of, you know, credibility? It does. It it they didn't. They couldn't. Um, and it does. It, it it's better on the page. It expanded this apocalyptic world where we were dominated by apes and now man is the lesser species and they explain it in every they, they, they explore it in every possible uh you know genre given given again the the, the western genre the, the 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 knights of the realm which is more of a fantasy and a dragon than the vikings a yeti a monster in a cave i mean it really took off like i said there's some there's some hg wells like hey why not we don't need to do time in a in a spaceship that, that's gotten lost in space and comes back and finds that it's been gone so long that the earth has been, all this time has passed, and now we're dominated by apes. 
they, they just went straight to, hey, I'm a guy who's going to build a time machine. I traveled in time. Oh my gosh, I got off in a different timeline than any that we had experienced. So, Return to the Planet of the Apes, 1975-1976. Great animation, by the way, by DePatty Freeling. Um, it was, it was uh, in association with 20th Century Fox, who owns all this stuff, now owned by Disney. Disney is sitting on a gold mine, okay? In Return to the Planet of the Apes, there are tanks, there are biplanes, there are zeppelins, there are um, very few horseback ridden, this much more advanced look at the apes much more advanced look in this cartoon because again the, the, it costs them the same to draw a horse as it does to draw a jeep or a plane or a helicopter and the apes are always firing from the planes i mean they've got helicopters dropping bombs and firing they've got the tanks tanks when i'm a kid and i'm waking up and see my i'm getting these go ape movies given to me twice a year in the afternoon and then i'm getting freaking cartoons where they're in tanks and heavy artillery and our heroes again astronauts in this um in this uh uh cartoon version is is bill and jeff another two astronauts who have landed and again but they encounter urko who's on the tv show who's on the uh, that they encounter cornelius um they encounter dr zaius nova is there brent from beneath the planet of the apes is there, so it really weaves in and out of the tapestry that's that's involved in the live action. But I'm not going to lie to you; I've already told you my favorite part of this, and I and and, and so I this is on DVD. I bought this the minute it was released, about maybe 16, 17 years ago, when they released this and the TV show. I mean, there is nothing apes that I do not consume and contained in my house, easily accessible to watch all the time. These cartoons get rewatched routinely return to the planet of the apes return to the planet of the apes the cartoon series seeing the jeeps seeing the vehicles the helicopters the zeppelins the the, the planes seeing apes pilot planes and fly them around is something that would have blown my mind on a cartoon you buy it it's awesome it expanded the world in such a huge way and i am telling you to this day i am waiting after the the, the uh after the Planet of the Apes reboot movie, and I and I and I know I know everyone really loves to um, get all up um, in in the last two in this trilogy, but um, the 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 Planet of the Apes film, and we, we won't dwell on the Mark Wahlberg. I think the Tim Burton. I, I think that was a valiant. <laughs> it was a valiant effort, right? Um, uh, it just it just didn't stick the landing, and it's all about sticking the land landing. But the James Franco, Rupert Wyatt, um, twenty eleven, Rise of the Planet of the Apes to me is 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 alongside the classics. It was so ridiculously well done. I love the ending. I love freeing all the apes from the zoo. I love the rise of Caesar. I love the battle on the bridge with the horseback against the cops and the oh, it's so fantastic. But in that in between time, they were talking briefly about what they would do with the sequel. Rupert Wyatt was still attached and there was a New York Times article where he talked about where he would take the Planet of the Apes, this now new post-apocalyptic vision where, as you can tell, and some of us were thinking in 2020 when the pandemic was in its deepest throes, we're like, oh my gosh, this is how we get to the apocalypse. It is It is through a virus. And at the James, in the James Franco, Rupert Wyatt movie, the virus is what is at the end traveling all over the world and is going to kill, kill out mankind, not nuclear weapons, as was... Uh, believed in the original franchise with Charlton Heston and James Franciscus. Brent Taylor? Oh, 
Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Don't even get me started. I can do a whole podcast just on that movie alone. It is my favorite. Yes, even Over Planet, which is probably the better made movie, but Beneath had just concepts and ideas that blew me away. But the, uh, the, the, the idea that a virus would now wipe us out, the Rupert Wyatt, uh, he, he was talking about what he had planned for a sequel. And he talked about how, how the humans had been driven underground when we were living beneath the world. That's where they had to go because of the virus and the disease. But the apes have become more advanced and they do regular patrols looking to keep the humans, you know, at bay. And I, in my head, saw apes in full, like, military gear, rifles, um, probably hazmat suits, really creepy imagery of them patrolling these empty cities, whether it's San Francisco, Chicago, New York, LA. And then we got this kind of, you know, the, 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 the sequels pivoted to, to way more um, pivoting of, of Caesar as Moses and uh, and, and, and the, the forest battles. And, and I, I'm not as big. I know people love the Matt Reeves stuff. I'm not, I'm not, that's not, especially that last one where, where literally, you know, it's, it's Caesar is Moses. You know, his people are, that, that encampment is like Egypt. It's like, let my people go Pharaoh. And, and, and the, the struggle, I just, I'm not, this, this deep dive into everything from the apes perspective was not exactly where I wanted to go. I want more of the human survivor um, perspective. That's what I always signed on for, whether those humans are Burke or Verdon or Brent or Taylor or whatever, or all these wonderful Jace in the comics and, and Zane. These are the guys I want to, I want to see the human struggle. Cause last time I looked, I'm human. Um, and, 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 and it just got harder and harder for me to root for the apes, no matter how sympathetic they were, you know, you know, um, um, made to be. But the, the, the ideas that Rupert Wyatt was, was were throwing out there, I was like, oh my gosh, this will be, this follow-up to Rise with Franco is going to be the best version of this I've ever seen. And then, like I said, it went to the, you know, treehouse and, and the forest settings and um, really well-acted, well-done movies. That there's no, I cannot criticize those movies as being anything less than spectacularly made, produced, executed. It's just, I have a very specific taste an appetite and now you can see why because I've seen them canoe down the river I've seen them battle dragons I've seen them in Viking armor on Viking ships I've seen them uh, battling yetis out of caves Planet of the Apes is immense especially when you think you have multiple timelines that you can explore much like what Commandy did back to Kirby pivoting away from the apes I highly recommend Return of the Planet of the Apes cartoon. I recommend seeing the TV show. It was some of these retro channels show them for like six months at a time until they cycle through the repeats like two or three times and then they pass it off to another one of the affiliate kind of 70s, 80s repeat channels. There's tons of them out there. Um, whoever plays like the guys who who air Sven Gulli out here in uh, California were, were just wrapped up about a year of playing the the... the, the the live-action TV show again and again. I, I would just recommend getting on DVD like I have it. Um, the movies, all the movies, uh, maybe not the Mark Wahlberg, but there's some good, there were some cool ideas. The ape stuff in Tim Burton's was really well done. I liked the way they moved. I liked the way he portrayed them. I just wasn't there for the 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 entirety of that saga and and the wrap up of it. But uh, but seek all these these Marvel magazines. They're beautifully illustrated. It, the, 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 Marvel had a high bar to clear. There is, whether it's Great Herb Trimpey, Rico Raval, Alfredo Alcala, or most definitely these Mike Plug issues, P-E-P-L-O-O-G. You will dig it. You will absolutely freaking dig it. But Commandy is Kirby going, that 
Planet of the Apes stuff was very successful. I'm going to go beyond apes. I'm going to have settlements of talking lions, talking tigers, talking dogs. Um, it, it is a fantastic. Commandy explores this apocalyptic landscape as, as good as any comic book up until and maybe including Walking Dead. It's so imaginative. And he goes to all of the different landscapes and Commandy, you know, uh, uh, meets his allies. There's an entire issue where, 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 that is around the uh, an ape who guards the costume of Superman. It's a little, he always kind of, he goes in there and gives you a taste, gives you a taste of that the, the DC Universe was before this. Um, the Kill Raven series that Robert and I did was predicated on a Commandy pitch that I told Joe Casada about. And then he said, would you do that pitch within those realm, you know, within that framework for Marvel with Robert Kirkman, you know, realizing it and writing it. And it was great. That's what we did. We love our apocalyptic landscapes. Quiet Place 2 was fantastic. I love the way it ended. I love that they are brief 90-ish minutes movies. They don't give us enough. I, I hope um, that they expand it. Credit to Robert Kirkman, who, and you will never understand how many people, myself included, lobbied him to expand the comic book in the throes of its popularity. But he wisely uh, declined, wouldn't uh, expand it. He wanted to keep all of the attention on the flagship and not do spinoffs that would dilute the um, the, the the primary title. And, and to my hat's off to him. He did it on his terms. The book was never not super spectacular. It is being recolored now. It is it is out. Uh, I, 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 I did a cover for an upcoming issue. I, I, I called Robert and I said, you have to. Under no circumstances do you consider not letting me do a cover on the Michonne issue. And I, I was so excited to do a cover on the Michonne issue. So uh, we are... Um, we, we love our apocalypse, our, our apocalyptic visions, and, and I didn't even get into the what was technically a disaster films because obviously, um, you know, Roland Emmerich loves to wipe out the earth, whether it's, uh, you know, 2010 or, 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 uh, or <laughs> Independence Day and obviously Michael Bay with Armageddon and, and, and Deep Impact, all of these movies that we love to destroy the world. There's so many great B movies, some of the great B movies where we, we rise from the ashes and have these different existences. Um, obviously, Hunger Games is, is apocalyptic. Um, there's all sorts of different visions. That's a, that's a really interesting way that they build out society. Um, but anyway, I, I just A Quiet Place took me down this rabbit hole. I had to share it with you. I have now gotten these comics. I've exposed them. They are my secret stash. I've never, I don't really share them with people because I, 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 I want to keep them to myself. But today, you know, uh, uh, I, I had to share the rest of them with you. If you only get these Planet of the Apes magazines due to their spectacular painted covers, you will have spent your money well. These are handsome. Let me tell you something. The magazines went away because bags and boards became a thing. Um, you, you, you know, I think DC, what do they have? The black label, they have a black label line. And just yesterday, just yesterday, unless I retailer said, oh, I'm glad this new black label isn't that magazine size. That sucks. You know, people don't like storing those. They don't like storing those. They don't fit in boxes easy. This is before then. That's why when I started this, these are, these are bad conditioned. They're worn. They're reader copies. I don't have pristine conditions. I don't want pristine conditions. Okay. Mine aren't graded. They're not gradable quality. But the minute we introduce bags and boards, when people look at my spinner rack and they go, how can you have those X-Men and those Avengers and those Hulks and those Defenders on your spinner rack without bags and boards? I'm like, that's how I interacted with them. That's how I, you know, found them. This, this bags, bagged and board 
bag comics that are bagged and board on the spinner rack look ridiculous. I, I can't stand it. So if you have one, I'm sorry. Um, that, that I just I cannot even I, I cannot do that. But because they just you know straightforward you know upright pla trapped in plastic that, that bags and boards did not exist until comic stores became a big thing in the mid 80s and then it was do you want some bags and boards do you want to preserve the condition and then we all kind of bought into that but magazines don't have magazine boxes magazine supplies it's it's harder to come by they're less in demand but that's why we pivoted away so much from deadly hands of kung fu planet of the apes doc savage the monster magazines um but i am telling you uh, that, that's why I think they're going to be more affordable than you think if you want to actually track them down. If not, watch the cartoon. You'll see apes in planes and helicopters and tanks, and I can't say that enough. Man, I, I had a badass childhood. My, my childhood kicked ass. Planet of the Apes was the best franchise. It's so kick-ass. I am hoping, Disney, if you can hear me, if one single person in the Disney Empire listens, you are sitting on a g -g 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 gold mine, okay? It is a massive gold mine. Get on it. Don't sleep on it activate that. We love our Armageddons. We love our apocalypses, whether they're zombies, they're apes, they're mutants, you know, get on that. Do not, do not limit us. You got to, you got to get in on this. You got to get in on this. Thank you for taking this walk with me through apocalyptic comics. You're like, Rob, was it really apocalyptic com comics or was it really like a celebration of the planet of apes? Can it be both? I think it was both. Let's, let's just say that it was both and let's just, just, let's just leave it at that. Okay. Now here's the deal. This is the part of the podcast where I am so excited to share with you guys, um, your reviews. You guys, this, this podcast is built on word of mouth. You guys are telling your friends and they are joining us. They are listening. I hope they're enjoying. I really do enjoy. I hope they're enjoying all of the different um, topics that are 